0: You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi everyone, Judicial Watch President here with a special Christmas edition of our weekly update here on social media. Uh, Thanks for joining us, even though it's the week before the Christmas holiday. It's still busy here in Washington, D.C. with a looming government shutdown. uh, A big hearing on General Flynn. His sentencing hearing was this week. Uh, We've got new information about the FBI text messages that were deleted by the special counsel's office. Was that obstruction by the special counsel's office? Uh, Plus, I have a Clinton email court update for you. So a lot to talk about. And I guess I'll talk about the wall first, because this is the issue of the moment. The president is facing a uh, shutdown as a result of the failure by the Senate to provide really minuscule funding for the wall, $5 billion. It's a lot of money to normal people, but the federal government sweats $5 billion. So this is an ideological battle between open borders Democrats and Republican allies in the Senate who don't want to provide the support for the wall that the American people want. Heck, that's why the president is president and uh, our national security and our border security deserves. Uh, we need it. Uh, I don't think a wall, as I've said repeatedly, is sufficient, but it certainly is necessary to provide basic security at our southern border. Now the House passed a bill that provides uh, some key funding for the wall, five plus billion dollars, and on top of that now the Senate needs to act, and the Senate seemingly doesn't have the votes to proceed yet, Uh, and so there's a looming government shutdown. Now, believe me, it's a fake government shutdown. There are several agencies that are affected, but uh, many of those agencies have essential personnel who will always be there working. Uh, in fact, according to the Washington Post, their analysis is that 53% of the workforce in the affected agencies of a government shutdown will be working. So the majority of workers will be there. Now, they may not be paid for a period of time, which is a pain in the neck for them, I understand, uh, but in the end, almost all of them will be get paid including those who were asked to stay home so it's many ways it's a forced holiday but politically uh, a shutdown forces one side or the other to give on policy demands and the question is who's going to give first and uh, the wall is essential in my view so the president i think is right to push for this and it's shameful that congress despite the crisis on the border hasn't provided basic security measures Hasn't even reformed, for instance, the asylum system that's encouraging the caravans recently. So the least they can do is uh, provide funding for a wall. Uh, now, Now Congress is hoping that you're not paying attention. I don't know what you think about a government shutdown. I don't know what you think about a wall. But they're hoping you don't share your views with Congress. And this is what I would do if I were you. I'd let your senators know. I'd let your congressman know, and I'd let the president know what you think about the shutdown, whether we need security on the border, whether we need a wall, and whether they need to do it now. And the way you can do that is by calling and communicating directly with your senators and congressmen. You can call the White House switchboard as well, and we'll put those numbers up for you uh, once this video goes to print, more or less. Uh, But, uh, and you can go online and figure out how to do it yourselves as well, but you've got to let your views known, be known here, because frankly, there aren't going to be a lot of people calling the Hill these days because of the Christmas holiday. You got to do it. You got to do it today, you got to do it tomorrow, you got to do it Sunday, you got to do it Monday, because I don't think they're going to go home. Uh, They may go home for uh, Christmas, obviously, the Christmas holiday and be off. Uh, but they'll be working in the offices, so you really should call and let your senators and congressmen and the president know what you think about the looming shutdown. Now, of course, Judicial Watch, we don't wait for the wall to be built to try to enforce our nation's laws against illegal immigration. We have lawsuits. We do the Freedom of Information Act, obviously, uh, work that we are famous for in terms of exposing what goes on. Uh, our co- My colleagues are on the border repeatedly. You know Chris Farrell. He's down there repeatedly. We have an Arizona representative, Mark Spencer, uh, who is an expert on the border. Uh, He's a former uh, uh, Phoenix police officer, and he's well-connected in the law enforcement community down there, both the federal and local law enforcement. And of course, we were down in Guatemala a few weeks ago proving, uh, showing the truths about the, uh, the real media lies about the caravan. Uh, a movement that is assaulting our borders as we speak. Now, on top of that, Judicial Watch is suing in San Francisco. Uh, we have a taxpayer, fu- uh, a taxpayer lawsuit. We're suing San Francisco on behalf of a taxpayer who is alleging that the San Francisco Sheriff's policy that prevents communications and disclosures to ICE about illegal alien criminals about to be released to the streets is in violation of the law. Now, that case is proceeding. We're in discovery, meaning we're gathering evidence, and there's a trial currently scheduled for July of 2019. So once again, Judicial Watch, we just don't wait for the government to act. And when the government's failing, we do what we can under the law to reaffirm the rule of law and to protect you, uh, American citizens, from uh, the corrupt acts of politicians who want to undermine the rule of law, especially on immigration. So I think this is a core issue to the future of our country. If we don't have a border and it's not secure, we don't have a country practically speaking. Open borders means the end of the United States as you know it. Now many people want that to happen and that's fine, but let's be clear as what the outcome potentially is here. And so uh, you've got to let your voice be heard. So. Don't listen to the noise that the shutdown is going to harm our national security or security or anything else. It's not going to happen. Uh, For instance, the special counsel, he has, according to reports, a a permanent authorization, uh, a permanent appropriation, more or less, an indefinite appropriation. So don't worry. The special counsel, for instance, will continue to undermine the Constitution and undermine the rule of law, which brings me to Uh, The next part of our key report here, which is the uh, OIG report, the Office of Inspector General report out of the Justice Department that demonstrates that the Mueller Special Counsel Office uh, deleted essentially text messages of Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. Now you may remember those two uh, FBI lovers as the anti-Trump, pro-Clinton text messengers in the FBI that were running, especially, especially Strzok, the Clinton email investigation and the anti-Trump Russia spy investigation. And they had text messages going back and forth where you may remember Strzok is talking about having an insurance policy and how they were going to stop Trump and uh, you couldn't make it up in terms of a corrupt abuse of authority evidently in the FBI as it's targeting Trump and protecting Hillary Clinton. Now on top of that, uh, Strzok was working for the special counsel because he was running the Russia investigation so when Mueller was appointed he brought Strzok in and however much I complain about Mueller, Strzok was an obvious choice to bring in. He was uh, the lead FBI agent on the Russia investigation and so after these text messages I guess were uncovered by the OIG and the DOJ Mueller quietly removed, struck, and I think Page from the special counsel team in the summer of last year. And he didn't tell you about it. Remember, he didn't tell you, he didn't tell Congress. It was a secret from the American people for four or five months. Well, you know, you would think if there are text messages showing outrageous and criminal bias, in my view, that the special counsel might want to take a look at what text messages he was sending and Page were sending, for the few months that they were working for them. Oh, guess what happened? Well, they took those uh, phones that they had, they were issued specially for the Office of Special Counsel Investigation and reformatted them, meaning the text messages were lost. And I have the uh, OIG report here. This is the Office of Inspector General report that was issued in December of 2018, so I guess it was issued last week or earlier uh, this week. And uh, he was uh, struck; was removed from the special counsel's office in late July, 2017. So what happened is, you may recall there was uh, noise about text messages missing. Generally, that the OIG was asking about, and in investigating that, they were able to recover about 19,000 text messages that had supposedly been deleted. Now, when anyone says text messages are deleted, I don't believe that. And sure enough, when they said they were missing text messages, they found almost 19,000 immediately. But according to the Office of Special Counsel, the uh, phones that were issued to Page and Strzok were reformatted. In fact, one was given to another employee. They couldn't find anything, and uh, that was Strzok's phone. Well, outrageously, the Special Counsel's Office reviewed Strzok's text messages and supposedly didn't find anything substantive. And I don't know if they uh, removed... It doesn't look like they reviewed Page's messages at all. But both phones have been reformatted more or less to their factory settings. One was taken up by another employee. They couldn't find anything on that. And the other uh, was reset in such a way, uh, Page's phone, that they couldn't find anything. They were supposed to... This is the background. On January 12, 2017, the OIG announced the the initiation of a review to examine whether uh, the Clinton email investigation was handled properly. And in that context, they found these smoking gun text messages. And as I said, many were missing. So the question I have is why the special counsel has been allowed to get away with this misconduct. Now you may not think it's a misconduct. You may think it's a bureaucratic snafu. Well, you know, I was on Tucker Carlson earlier this week and I made the point in discussing this story that Paul Manafort, for instance, was accused by the special counsel of withholding evidence and hiding evidence and maybe even trying to destroy evidence. You know what the special counsel's office did? They sent, a, uh, uh, they sent FBI agents with guns drawn to his home in an early morning raid to gather the evidence and protect the evidence. But if you're the government and there's evidence of misconduct and you destroy it, what happens? In the case of Mueller, he's allowed just to move, move along. I have read this OIG report, and there's nothing about uh, lambasting other than detailing what the OIG did, the FBI and the Justice Department and Mueller, uh, for this corruption. They knew this guy had trouble with text messages, and they didn't bother preserve either his text messages or Page's text messages. Wouldn't it be interesting to read Strzok's text messages from the time he was in the Office of Special Counsel? You bet it would be interesting to read those text messages, and I'm convinced that's why, that's why we don't have them. Another reason to shut down the Mueller investigation. Now, of course, we don't rely on the OIG to enforce the rule of law, judicial watch, and this is what we do. We specialize in using the law to figure out ways to hold the government accountable and to protect records, for instance, that the government doesn't want you to know uh, uh, to know about. And in this case, uh, the FBI, even worse on top of all of this, the FBI is up of to, up to the position that they don't have to preserve and produce text messages in response to Freedom of Information Act requests. So forget about these missing text messages. They think they can delete every text message they have, unless an FBI agent decides that they need to keep it for reasons that they decide to on their own. So there is no policy at the FBI, and it looks like it's the same policy at the Justice Department that preserves and protects text messages for review under FOIA in response to congressional subpoenas or even internal reviews, as the OIG is finding out. So what does Judicial Watch do? We went to court. We filed a Freedom of Information, well it actually wasn't a Freedom of Information, we have Freedom of Information Act lawsuits that required the production of text messages, so we're fighting about that. For instance, text messages of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, the corrupted uh, FBI number two, Andrew McCabe. So we've got lawsuits on that, but we filed a separate lawsuit under a law known as the Administrative Procedures Act, and that lawsuit is uh, pushing at the court to ask and demand, excuse me, to demand that the FBI retain text messages as the law requires and to stop potentially deleting the text message of people like James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, and who knows who else in the special counsel's office, in the leadership of the Justice Department, and the leadership of the FBI. So for all the noise you hear about, frankly, a very corrupt issue, a major issue of potential corruption, the destruction of evidence by the special counsel's office, there's a bigger issue, which is the FBI does not believe it should be required to keep text messages. And so maybe as we speak, thousands of text messages are being deleted. Now, the OIG doesn't know how many text messages they were unable to recover from page instruct since the records don't exist anymore. So it could be countless numbers. The president, I know, has talked about 19,000. I think he's conflating two numbers. My point is it could be higher than 19,000 or less. We don't know because the Mueller special counsel operation destroyed government records essential to analyzing whether or not his investigation was influenced, as we think it has been, by biased agents like Peter Strzok, who hated Donald Trump. So we're in court trying to get answers for you. You know, I know you probably, you you think I'm getting angry and you know, I, I get excited about this, but what I love about Judicial Watch is we're able to do something about it. And this is why, and if I could take a commercial break here, you should support our work because there's no one in Washington that does the work that Judicial Watch does as consistently and as thoroughly to hold the government accountable to the rule of law and make sure that these corruption issues get swept under the rug. So along those lines, um, I want to remind you that we've got these major issues on um, uh, this this major litigation on the Hillary Clinton issue. Now, Judge Lamberth and Judge Sullivan, who I'll talk about later, both issued rulings, in the case of Sullivan, requiring Hillary Clinton to respond under oath to Judicial Watch written questions that she didn't want to respond to under oath. And Judge Lamberth authorizing massive dis- not massive discovery, but thorough discovery into the Hillary Clinton email issue about whether or not that system was designed to thwart the Freedom of Information Act. One of the gravest offenses, uh, one of the gravest offenses to our transparency laws, is I think the quote from Judge Lambert. So uh, he wanted us to come up with the discovery plan and this is gonna upset you, this is the update. So we came up with the discovery plan. I can't get into the details now of uh, what's in it, but you can be confident we want to question uh, several people about the Clinton email system, the sort of basic work that an investigative team would do, one authorized by the court to do. You know what we found out? The Justice Department, representing the State Department, was coordinating with the witnesses on the Clinton side to try to thwart our effort to get discovery. That's right. This Justice Department is colluding with lawyers for the Clinton retired witnesses to try to oppose our discovery plan. So when you talk about the deep state, that's what I'm talking about. Now, so we've got this thorough discovery, this thorough discovery plan, and I, I don't know when we're going to release it or be able to talk about it in full, but we're being opposed by not only the Justice Department representing the State Department. And by the way, Judge Lambert excoriated both the Justice Department and the State Department for this Clinton email misconduct and they're still fighting everything we want in terms of discovery, practically speaking. Oh, they say we can talk to one witness, I think, maybe two witnesses. They said we might get documents, but they don't, they're not sure whether or not we can get what's in the documents. Same old, same old. But judicial, you know, the courts are just moving along and we're making progress slowly but surely and we're winning. But we are facing massive opposition from the deep state to get this basic accountability on the Clinton emails because it isn't going to happen from Congress. The Justice Department is on the other side. And thankfully, the courts are still working, more or less, in this area. Never as much as you, you know, they're never as aggressive as you might like. uh, But it's better than nothing, much better than nothing. And it's because of court actions like this that we uncovered the Clinton email scandal to begin with. And everything we know about the Clinton email scandal is largely thanks to Judicial Watch. So we're, we're, we're going to be busy over the next year uh, pushing this issue. And then um, I was, atten- now speaking of Judge Sullivan, a lot to talk about today. I'm trying to keep it all in line here. I was able to attend on behalf of Judicial Watch. I'm, you know, Part of my work is to figure out what's going on. The Flynn sentencing hearing. General Flynn was sentenced or was supposed to be sentenced this week by uh, Judge Emmett Sullivan, who's, as I pointed out, one of the judges in our, one of our FOIA cases. And we've been before Judge Sullivan for, for uh, many, many issues. Uh, going, famously going back to the Bush administration, we challenged the Cheney Energy Task Force. Judge Sullivan granted us discovery there that the Supreme Court didn't like. So that was an historic fight. Then he was uh, one of the key judges in our IRS FOIA litigation. And he got angry during that case because he threatened to uh, hold in contempt and jail the IRS commissioner if they didn't start complying with their, his orders properly. And then, of course, I told you about the Clinton email case. So he's a tough judge, and he's a smart judge. He likes to talk on the bench and think through, and think things through out loud and uh, so as a result it was a two-hour sentencing hearing and he said lots of things and a lot of things that were controversial in the sense people were saying well how could you for instance as he said uh, leave the impression that Judge uh, General Flynn had committed treachery, uh, uh, had committed treason and uh, I was there, I wasn't in the room, I was in an overflow room with Sarah Carter, my colleague, Michael Pakesha, and Michael Ledeen, who's uh, uh, someone who's known General Flynn for uh, several years. So we're watching this. And my impression is as follows, that Judge Sullivan was encouraging General Flynn to uh, really consider whether needed to withdraw his plea, because you may recall the lawyers for Judge Fli- uh, General Flynn uh, put in information, and we've talked about this previously, into their pleadings in their, over the, as they were figuring out, as they were trying to make the case to the judge for a light sentence, that the FBI, it looks like, committed misconduct in questioning him. He didn't lie under oath, and, uh, at least according to FBI officials who questioned him. And sure enough, all that's been backed up. James Comey said he purposely avoided protocol by uh, uh, avoiding the White House counsel being present. Andrew McCabe certainly persuaded General Flynn not to have White House counsel or any lawyer present. And of course, he was targeted for specious reasons about his supposed lies, about what what, what he talked with the Russian ambassador about. Of course, they knew what he, talked about with, uh, what he talked about with the Russian ambassador. So I don't know why they needed to go question him. It's because there were press reports about what the, he supposedly was telling the vice president. Well, since when is that a matter of FBI investigation? They're concerned that Flynn wasn't being honest with the vice president. They should have called the vice president and said, you should check with General Flynn to make sure because according to the reports, he may not be giving you full information. Didn't require an FBI investigation. And and just to be clear, I don't think Flynn lied. I think Flynn has talked himself into, in his head, that, well, maybe I did lie and I'm going to plead guilty and end this case. So what Judge Sullivan was doing was he was saying, is this treason? Did he portray his country? Did he undermine his flag? And he's not saying, well, I committed, he committed treason. He later came back and walked that back. But he was leaving it clear in no uncertain terms that this was serious when you raise issues like this. And when you plead guilty to something that you may not have done or you may ought to fight just because you think you can get past it, he was asserting, he was basically warning Flynn, the plea deal may have a different impact and a different result than you think. So he was inviting Flynn repeatedly to pull back from his plea deal. He even. Even said to, Judge, to General Flynn, he said, You know what? I'll appoint a special lawyer to give you a second opinion on this whole matter. Now, Flynn didn't rise to the bait. Special counsel, they tried to keep their heads down, the lawyer there. The lawyer there admitted there was no violation of the Logan Act that they were seriously pursuing, there was no treason. So, you know, the left's smears against General Flynn are out the window. In fact, when Judge Sullivan mentioned the Logan Act, you know, that's the act that's never prosecuted that prevents private individuals from conducting foreign policy, everyone laughed. But that was the pretext under which Flynn was targeted and attacked by Sally Yates, James Comey, and Andrew McCabe. So the sentencing was delayed, and it was delayed because Flynn has been cooperating with the special counsel on another unserious charge, in my view, this Foreign Registration Act violation, Foreign Agent Registration Act violation, which is a paperwork violation, or at least it used to be until Trump came into power, and then they started criminally prosecuting them anyone who involved in that other than the Podestas who were also evidently doing the same sort of thing over which Manafort and Flynn have been targeted over in terms of unregistered agency for foreign governments. So Flynn is still cooperating with the special counsel and the judge said look I can't give you the full benefit of your cooperation in my sentencing if you're still cooperating. So he said do you want to Basically, finish up your cooperation, and then have the sentencing and Judge and General Flynn because uh, Judge Sullivan was uh, was ruminating that he may give General Flynn jail. So Judge Sullivan isn't going to do anything. It looks like unless he's asked to by General Flynn in terms of this corruption by the special counsel. That's unfortunate. Now Judicial Watch has Independent Freedom Information Act requests and lawsuits on this issue. For instance, we want the transcript of what Flynn said to Kilsley Act. Everyone else seems to have read it in town. I know it's typically classified. It needs to be declassified. But in the end, Judge, uh, Judge Sullivan is not going to do anything unless General Flynn is willing to say something and make noise here, which is I don't think going to be likely based on what I've seen. He just pled guilty again, reaffirmed his plea deal In open court, I watched it. He went under oath and said he he committed crimes in lying to the FBI. And so Judge Flynn responds to that. It was a terrible day. It was a terrible day because I think he's being railroaded, General Flynn, and the justice system isn't working to fix it. Neither the defendant, the prosecutor, or the judge is working to fix it. So who can fix it? Well, we can try to fix it by uncovering more details about the corruption, but the president can fix it by pardoning General Flynn. I don't know if he's going to do that. I'm sure it's probably on his list of things to consider. I'm sure he's strongly considering it. But I, I just don't see any other outcome could also shut the Mueller operation down, which is something I've been calling for. Shut Mueller down. You've got him destroying text messages that could demonstrate bias by his office. You've got him pursuing General Flynn on trumped up charges of lying and failure to file Foreign Agent Registration Act documents. You've got harassing investigations by Mueller into the president's tweets. Yes, they're investigating the president's tweets. All sorts of reason to shut down the Mueller investigation. So that's that. Next up, let's talk about war in the Middle East. All the king's horses and all the king's men are screaming about the idea that President Trump wants to send or bring home the 2,000 or so troops in Syria that are currently based there. Now, of course, the first question I have is how many Americans knew there were troops in Syria before President Trump announced he was bringing them home? How many many Americans knew there were troops there? And even more importantly, how many Americans knew what their goal and their mission is? And I guarantee you, not too many, and I guarantee you just as few commentators and politicians criticizing the president for wanting to do what he's generally promised, is to pull back the U.S. from these endless wars that don't protect our national security by his lights. They didn't know what was going on there in Syria either. And I guarantee you, if, if Trump was trying to increase troops in Syria, they'd probably oppose him. Tries to pull him out, they're going to oppose him. But you know, I have the facts on Syria here that you may not know about. But I've talked about it before, I think, on our prior updates, but this is material that was released by Judicial Watch before we started doing these weekly updates back in uh, 2015. And they were uncovered as a result of our Benghazi litigation. Oh yes, Benghazi is tied to Syria and the rise of ISIS. And in perhaps some of the most important documents that Judicial Watch has ever uncovered, and I don't say that lightly. Judicial Watch will be, I think, we're uh, our 25th year of operation next year. So these documents are real important. They show two things. Uh, they show that the Obama administration was well aware that arms were going to Syria, the conflict in Syria, at of Benghazi, And secondly, they show that uh, the Obama administration, including the Secretary of State, were warned about the rise of ISIS and that they were supporting terrorists in the uh, interseam warfare in Syria. And specifically, the documents detail the arms being shipped out of Syria in unbelievable detail. As we say, the DOD documents contain the first official documentation that the Obama administration knew that weapons were being shipped from the port of Benghazi to rebel troops in Syria. An October 2012 report, this is a report a month after the terrorist attack on our uh, special mission compound that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama all lied about. Weapons from the former Libya military stockpiles were shipped from the port of Benghazi, Libya, to the port of Benayas and the port of Borja, Islam, Syria. The weapons shipped from late, the ship uh, Excuse me. The weapons shipped during late 2012 uh, were sniper rifles, rifles, RPGs, and 125 millimeter and 155 millimeter Harwitzer missiles. During the immediate aftermath of and following the uncertainty caused by the downfall of the Gaddafi regime, remember, Gaddafi was murdered with the approval of. Obama and Hillary. They wanted that regime to fall. In October 2011 and up until early September 2012, weapons from the former Libya military stockpiles located in Benghazi, Libya, were shipped from the port of Benghazi, Libya, to the ports of Banias and the port of uh, Borsh, Islam, Syria. The Syrian ports were chosen due to the small amounts of cargo traffic transiting these two ports. The ships used to transport the weapons were medium-sized and able to hold 10 or less shipping containers or cargo. And this is a Defense Intelligence Agency document. Uh, By the way, you know who ran the DIA and issued this report? It was General Flynn. No wonder Obama didn't like him. The weapons shipped from Syria during late August 2012, uh, I said where I I described the weapons... And they get into the numbers. The numbers for each weapon were estimated to be 500 sniper rifles, 100 RPG launchers with 300 total rounds, and approximately 400 Harwitzer missiles. In fact, I think it was in this document, they were able to describe the rooms in which they were stored. So what's unclear about this document is who was doing the shipping because many have alleged it was done with U.S.-Obama administration support. Certainly the level of detail suggests that they were in a position to stop it in the least. But we'll see. Just wish someone would ask some questions on that, huh? Another DIA report shows that in August 2012, the same period the U.S. was monitoring weapon flows from Benghazi to Syria. This report said the opposition in Syria was driven by Al Qaeda and other extremist Muslim groups. The grown sectarian direction of the war was predicted to have dire consequences for Iraq, which included the grave danger of the rise of ISIS. According to the document, this creates the ideal atmosphere for AQI, Al Qaeda Iraq to return to its old pockets in Mosul and Ramadi and provide a renewed momentum under the presumption of unifying the jihad among Sunni, Iraq, and Syria and the rest of the Sunnis in the Arab world against what it considers one enemy, the dissenters. ISI. Yes, that's the precursor to ISIS. Could also declare an Islamic state through its union with other terrorist organizations in Iraq and Syria which will create grave danger in regards to unifying Iraq and the protection of its territory. And one of the warnings was heavily blacked out. One such consequence would be the renewed facilitation of terrorist elements from all over the Arab world entering into the Iraqi arena. The DIA document demonstrates that the insurgency in Syria were the major elements of the insurgency in Syria were AQI, the Muslim Brotherhood, a terrorist organization, and the Salafist, extremist Muslims as well. The West, Gulf countries, and Turkey support the opposition. So you were supporting the opposition. AQI. So these terrorists were supporting the Assyrian opposition from the beginning and the West was supporting them through Benghazi. That's how I read all of this. So what was going on is that there was this pullback of government forces at the border of Iraq and Syria and into the, into, the, into the chaos there, uncontrolled borders, see, when your border's out of control, things happen. ISIS crept in and asserted itself. AQI asserted itself. All predicted. This is what has been wrought or was wrought by the Obama administration and led to all these refugee flows that we now Hear about and is what Trump has had to deal with since he's come into office. So the reason we're in Syria is because of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton allowing the destruction of Libya by extremist radical forces and it was a vehicle to get arms into Syria to increase pressure on the regime through terrorists, AQI. It's that time of day for the trains, excuse me. So, you know, I I put this document, we'll put the link to this document in our materials here, but you've got to educate yourself on this because the media is not going to talk to you about Syria. So now we're going to hear all these armchair experts say why we need to be in Syria, and, you know, I I don't want to get into that debate here. You can imagine what I think. So um, the truth is out there for those of you who want to find it. And it's because Judicial Watch is doing the work to get it for you. And as I said, this is critically important information. It confirms the downfall of Libya, led to the rise of ISIS, and it shows that arms were going into Syria out of Libya, and the Obama administration knew about it and didn't do anything to stop it. In fact, when terrorist work exposes running Libya, essentially, especially during the attack, the Benghazi attack, they lied about it and said it was some sort of spontaneous demonstration. No, they turned over Libya to the terrorists and it became a way station and a funnel for terrorists to enter into the Syrian conflict and that led to the rise of ISIS. The documents are there. And it's for exposing that sort of stuff that I'm convinced that General Flynn... Has been on the naughty list I put chair I'll describe it nicely for the Obama gang since he left the administration. So with that, I'm going to leave you to your Christmas, and I, I just want to take a, a minute to wish you a Merry Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful holiday with your family and friends. Uh, I love Christmas. I've got uh, my kids at home, my wife at home. Uh, So we're looking forward to the holiday as well. And I'll be back next week, hopefully, with another report. Things aren't slowing down here at Judicial Watch. Much more to report on you, uh, report to you. We don't report on you. We'll leave that to uh, uh, the deep state. But uh, thanks for joining us this week. And as I said once again, have a wonderful, safe, and Merry Christmas. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.